Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber and I am sitting here with Anna Chizinski, Andrew Hunter-Murray and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Chizinski. My fact this week is that Tibet is suffering from a shortage of butter sculptors. Are they? Yeah, nice. that's, this is people who make sculptures out of butter. When you say shortage, it means they must have some of them still. They do have some. But they must need a lot of them. I'm not sure that's the case, because if no. you had none, you could still have a shortage. It would just be an extremely severe shortage. <laughs> I, think, I think that's when it starts being called an absence. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So butter sculpting in Tibet is uh, very popular, and it goes back a really long way, and it's part of their Buddhist celebrations. And so in the uh, biggest Tibetan Buddhist festival, which is called the Monlam Festival, then the largest day of it is uh, like the day when they light all these butter lamps and they make all these butter sculptures. Mm. And uh, it's a way of celebrating Buddha and Buddha's victories. Yeah. Is it because and he sounds a bit like butter? It's exactly mm. because of that. I can't yeah. believe it's not Buddha. Mm, yeah. I... I wanted to laugh, but I, and I was laughing really hard <laughs> yeah, inside yeah. there. It's got all the form of it. It's got everything. It's got, a, it's got <laughs> everything. The reason I didn't laugh at it is because there is no such thing as I can't believe it's not butter anymore. That's true. They changed the name. Yeah, they changed the name to I can't believe it's so good for everything. What? Oh. I'm not sure it is good for everything, is it? No, no, it's not as versatile as they're claiming. But they it's not might. They're building houses. Well, it's for good instance. for building statues. Yeah. Well, I can't believe it's not butter. Is yeah, it? maybe. I don't think that's the reason you didn't laugh. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a supplementary fact but not a funny joke. Actually, I think it is because when you said it, that was what was going through my brain, right. rather than, what a great joke. So they um, specifically use yak butter as opposed okay. to uh, that, cow milk. Is that different? Is it more like marble? It's, it's, it's yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a solid substance. Yeah, it's, it's a lot thicker. Is it? Uh, yak butter generally is used for most things in Tibet. I was talking to my auntie, Bettina. Mm. She lived in Tibet. And I, and I, as a child, I went to Tibet uh, in 1994. And it was my friend's birthday up there. And we had a yak cheesecake. It was made from yak oh, butter ooh. and yak cheese. It was the hot, We couldn't get the knife into it. It was so hard. <laughs> the, chef, the chef was experimenting with new uses of yak for these sudden Western meals. So they also had yak pizza that they were trying to work on as well, wow. which was using yak butter as well. Um, but yeah, Although so, when you say it's used for most things, I I think that is a bit like I can't believe it's not butter saying it can be used yeah, for everything slightly I mean do you ride on yak butter well they according to Bettina my auntie mm. she said that they, it would be used in place of say blue tack so I guess like yak tack wow. and um, blue yak blue yak sorry <laughs> do they use it medicinally they use it as moisturizer. Okay. Yep. And they also, my auntie said people used to use it, and she did as well, as a barrier because the winds would be so <laughs> painfully cold as they were hitting your face that it was a sort of sort of like masking device to stop the cold wind from. So it's something <laughs> like as a balaclava. Yeah, exactly. It's like a moisturizer balaclava. Sometimes though, a lot of a slice of bread will blow into your face and it'll just stick there. And then if another one hits you, the other way, you turn <laughs> into a sandwich. There's a real risk that you'll be picked up and eaten. <laughs> They use it for their main tea as well. Yak butter tea oh, yeah, is their traditional drink. Is it nice? I didn't. I didn't have it when I was up there. I think I've had. 
butter tea. Have it's you? Fer- is it ferment? I'm sure there's some fermenting yeah. process that goes on. Yeah, it, I it never made it a rancid or a bit. Well, they put yak poo in it because the way no, they do, they do, because the way they get the tea is off a block of uh, tea. <laughs> and it's what do all... they do? They give you some yak butter tea and they go, "Would you like poo with that?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, just a half a poo. What is the no, so, but we're the same because I always, when I have a cup of tea, I put a bit of uh, cow manure in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what it says is that to bind the tea particles together because they will be <laughs> chopping the scraping the the tea off a compressed block of tea and it would be all bitty and too much. It feels like your auntie is setting you up for a really good practical joke when you go there. Yeah, you? that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she gave me so much information and she said as well. By the way, her name Bettina is an anagram of uh, Tibetan. Quite cool. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and she said just yesterday they've moved house. They have a folding table that they had in Tibet when they were living there, and they haven't unpacked it uh, for many years. It still smells of yak butter because wow. they used to just have blobs of it on there. I don't know why. <laughs> Um, so butter has been used medicinally in the past, hasn't it? And they used to think, I was reading this in a book called A History of Food, and it didn't give a specific date, it just said until quite recently, it was thought that if you put a pat of butter next to a sick person, it would absorb their disease and they would recover. You do get people putting butter on bruises, that's a thing. Is no. it? Yeah, the ancient Egyptians used it. Okay. They would so. put a bit of butter on a bruise with some powdered mummy. Really? Yeah. Why were they using powdered Mummy. I think they just had a lot of mummy to use up. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, we've got so much rosemary, well, we'll have rosemary and everything. I was reading an article by, um, that interviewed Elaine Kosrova, um, who's a historian of butter, and she thinks that it was like a magical, holy thing, because no one really knew how it was made. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you would get some milk and you'd put it in some animal skin or something like that, and then the right kind of bacteria would have to be there for it to churn and turn into butter. But quite often it wouldn't work. People wouldn't know why it wasn't working. And so sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, and they thought it was magical for that reason. <laughs> oh, really? Mm. Oh, well, that's so in, uh, in Iceland, I think they, um, Icelandic people used to pray to the god of blacksmiths for better butter because in a similar way they didn't know how it was made and they thought it was like gold because mm. um, it just had that gold goldy shine um, and so they thought let's pray to the guy who's responsible for metal because he'll sort out our butter shortages. I can't believe it's not better. Uh, yeah, yeah you're, you're really pushing yeah. this joke, aren't you? I mean, you'll be surprised one of these moments. <laughs> um, do you know where else they have the big butter uh, statuary industry? is massive in America. Yeah, I didn't know about no, this. I don't know about this, and everyone in America watching this will know absolutely about it. Yeah. It's huge. Butter statues. State oh, butter farms. statues, yeah, yeah. sorry. Right. State farms and state fairs and things, and they yeah. always have massive butter sculptures. And they had, uh, there's one woman who uh, has recently retired. She did it for 50 years mm. in Iowa. Every year she just made a cow out of butter. Cool. And they reused the butter as well. Really? So what to eat? eat or for m- no, more statues? For, the, for more statues. Oh, uh, really? Keep it on ice okay. in between so they don't have to use another you know, Smart. 100 kilos of butter to make a cow. Wow. <laughs> this started in the 1800s in America where they would make things not just out of butter but out of lots of foodstuffs. So they were making loads and loads of foods because the land was so good for growing. And there was one where they had this thing called cereal architecture uh, where someone made a palace out of corn and grass and stuff like that. Uh, they made a Liberty Bell out of oranges uh, and they made a life-size knight out of prunes. It's like a weird childhood fantasy world. <laughs> I think it's to kind of show off that they've got all this amazing like all these produce. Yeah. It's like we've got so many prunes. 
we can waste some of them by making them into a knight. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because the person who started it, I think, was a woman called Caroline Shawk Brooks, who's, who was this really famous sculptor in America. And um, so she displayed her sculptures at the World Fair. She uh, she has this one called Dreaming Iolanth, which if you look it up, it's really beautiful. How did she get them to the World Fair? Would she sculpt them mountain. there? Or? Yeah, she sculpted them there. And the problem was, she she wanted to use her kind of butter, and she had to get it all the way to Europe, because mm. the welfare was in Paris, I think. Yeah. Um, but the problem was, she couldn't keep it cool, so she needed to find a boat with enough ice in it. Yeah. So she eventually found one. It took her ages. She got it onto this boat, got all the butter over, at like 100 kilos of butter, got there, and the World Fair had already finished. No. <laughs> oh, no. I thought you said she showed it at the World Fair. Well, uh, no, it must have been another It was thing. a different one. So did it go off or something? Did it go off? Yeah. The fair? No, the, the butter that she had once she... Well, I don't know what they did with it once she got there. I can't believe it's not bitter. Um, anyway. <laughs> you know, yak milk should actually be called knack milk. Because mm. the yak is a male? Yeah. The neck is the female. Really? You can't milk a yak. You can't milk well, a yak. You... No, you can't. No, you can't. But if you, you think you've milked a yak, <laughs> that's not milk. You're in French. Time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that you can email any one of the 70,000 trees in Melbourne, Australia. Okay. Cool. An individual email to any one of their 70,000 trees. Have wow. you done so? I have not, no. I rather think you should have done that. <laughs> well, what do people have, though? So what happens is this was a project that was set up in 2013. The idea was that every single tree got its own ID number because they wanted to, if you lived near this tree and you saw it being vandalized or you saw that it was um, in any way dying, you could report this tree by sending an email to the tree and then someone would pick it up. Report the tree. It just sounds like the tree's in trouble. The tree <laughs> is in trouble. Wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, um, do they call it tree mail or...? They should do, yeah, they but they, as far as I know, they don't, no. And this was this is a project called the Urban Forest Visual Project, and they set this up back in 2013. So, instead of calling it tree mail, they called it what? <laughs> the Urban Forest Visual Project. I think they need some help with branding. <laughs> <laughs> um, they uh, set it up, it was set up back in, I believe, 2013, so it's been around for a long time, and what ends up happening is very occasionally someone from a big newspaper or a big online um, magazine finds out about this and then they write an article and then people start flooding the trees with emails um, mm. so but how do they deliver the emails to the trees yeah, they print them out that's pretty messed up Can yeah, you that's, weird. that's like sending to the tree yeah that's like sending like getting a ransom and sending someone their friend's body part and writing the ransom note it's on like that getting body a flap of skin saying hello i think you're great written on it yeah with your skin well but then yeah. that's isn't it like trying to heal a bruise by Dropping some powdered you on it, yeah, like yeah. mummies. Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, we don't yeah. get away scot-free. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, but yeah. So the idea is they each have this individual ID number, and people do send them emails. Uh, there's one uh, that was that says, "My dearest Olmus, as I was leaving St Mary's College today, I was struck not by a branch, but by your radiant beauty. You must get these messages all the time. You're such an attractive That's tree." That's a bit creepy, though. Isn't it? <laughs> That's yeah. a bit odd. Yeah. Like if I got that email and they substituted tree for human, I think I'd be pretty creeped yeah. out, actually. And imagine That's how creeped out you'd be if you were literally rooted into the ground, so you can't even run away. That's a good. Can point. you get a restraining order as a tree? 
Because I think they should invest in some of those. Well, maybe they do. Maybe, or maybe, maybe uh, the restraining order is against someone who's graffitied the tree. Yeah. Imagine if someone came up and wrote a love letter on your body when you've never even met them. <laughs> Imagine if someone tattooed into you that they liked somebody else. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what happens. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got a tattoo on my shoulder saying Danny for Emma forever <laughs> but then also you could go even further and say imagine if someone took your body pulped it up added water squashed it down and then got a pen and wrote a love letter on you and then sent it through the post yeah, yeah that'd be pretty, pretty screwed up, up wouldn't it yeah I'd be happy that I'd had a new life as a different form it's like being reincarnated isn't it every tree is reincarnated as a book. As a book. Yeah. yeah. That, that, you can look at it that That's way. That's like saying that you get reincarnated as a corpse. <laughs> you <kind of> do. <laughs> no, but I don't get used as a corpse. Uh, I think you need to be right. used in order for it to be reincarnation, don't you? If you were used to be... <laughs> I thought it was that you come back to life. I thought that's the whole point of reincarnation. Yeah, it is, yeah. Not that there is a use applied to yeah. the body. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, because if right. you donate your skeleton to medical science and they use it in classrooms and universities... Yeah, I've been reincarnated as a teaching assistant. <laughs> <laughs> teaching assistant. Um, but they have been, these trees have been mainly getting non-helpful environmental emails and just love letters from people, haven't they? They have, yeah. Or really self-involved yeah. letters. So uh, there is one that... Um, Singers are supposed to be about the trees, but um, someone wrote, Dear Greenleaf Elm, I have exams coming up and I should be busy studying. You do not have exams because you are a tree. I don't think there's much more to talk about as we don't have a lot in common, you being a tree and such, but I'm glad we're in this together. Cheers, F, she signed off. And then, a few days later, another email came through. Well, sorry, when she did F, do you think that's what she actually got in her exams? Because she was well, sending emails to trees the whole time. Sorry. Um, we, she hadn't got the exam results yet, obviously, because right. she was still taking the exams. But she did then send a follow-up saying, Hello, Greenleaf Elm, it's me again, brackets, F. I just got my marks for last semester back. On a definitely completely unrelated note, how do you deal with the constant, relentlessly soul-crushing pain of disappointment after disappointment that characterises our life on Earth? You must be very old, right? So I thought you might know. So I think maybe she did get an F? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds sounds like like it. it. Sounds like it. The thing is... Sorry, go. Well, I just think she's got a very high opinion of herself if she thinks she's the only person in the world with an F as an initial. (laughs) (laughs) You remember me, F. F, Probably the only person who's ever emailed you with that initial. You're right, these Um, trees are popular. They do. Uh, No, they're popular. Oh. Uh, Come on. (laughs) That was strong. They do write write back sometimes. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. So someone wrote, well, well, I'll refer you to The Guardian. Uh Uh, The Guardian wrote to uh, Ginkgo Maidenhattery in Fitzroy Gardens. And it replied saying, Dear Oliver, thank you for your lovely words. I am very well. Enjoy your day. You're sincerely, tree1441724. Well, that is going against council regulations, actually, because really? the guy who called Mr. Woods, who's running this campaign... <laughs> Mr. Woods? Yeah, that's true. He's called Mr. Woods. That's great. Have you got a problem with that? No. That's astonishing. I wrote that down and didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, whenever you try and visit him in his office, you can't see him for all the trees. <laughs> Um, so Mr. Woods um, said that while these emails are highly amusing, the team remains vigilant in making sure they only reply to authentic requests. Oh. Which it sounds like that wasn't. Because as you said, the whole point of this project was that it would be no cost to the council. So they can't be wasting taxpayers' money spending their entire time replying to these mails. Well, that's so- true. I've got, I've got an example here where someone wrote to um, a willow leaf peppermint tree, ID 1357982, said, Hello, Mr. Willow leaf peppermint, or should I say Mrs. Willow leaf peppermint? Do trees have genders? 
regards. The tree wrote back saying, hello, I am not a Mr. or Mrs. as I have what is called perfect flowers that include both genders in my flower structure. Kind regard, Mr. and Mrs. Willow, Leaf, Peppermint, brackets, right. same tree. Mm. So they do send back stuff about uh, education. Yeah. Mm. Is that the whole point of this then? Is it an educational tool? No, I think maybe the replies will be, but it's genuinely for the fact that they want to use uh, citizen reporters yeah. for the maintenance of well, their... So actually all it is... I yeah. think lots of the trees in Melbourne are going to die of old age over the next 20 years or so, about 40%. And so they need to replace them and maintain them on the ones they've got quite carefully. Yeah. So what you do is they have a map and uh, it shows all the trees in Melbourne. So if you're walking through Melbourne and you see a tree that's damaged and you click on the icon, all it does is it sends an email to the council and the subject line is information about tree XYZ. Yeah. And they're, all their little icons are either red, amber or green, aren't they? And the red ones are the ones that are going to die soon. Oh, really? Because yeah. the Atlantic article I read about this story said that this is obviously um, ways for people to sort of get you invested in things in your in your country or in your city that have problems in Hawaii they have uh, tsunami sirens and they have an adopt a siren uh, thing so you go to a map you see where you live next to one <laughs> do you get to send a photo of it every Christmas yeah. <laughs> exactly the same yeah. doing so well still flashing yeah but you go you test it and stuff you, you have to sort of be responsible to make sure that the maintenance of it is still okay oh, I thought you didn't have to I looked on the website and said, if you choose to, it's called adopt a thing. Right. The, um, thing. And they say, if you choose to adopt a thing, you're under no obligation and have no responsibility to actually report problems with the thing. Wait, so what are you doing for it? I think you just give a bit of just money. Just give money, yeah. Right. Like and you get, to say, yeah, you get to say in parties, I adopted a tsunami warning. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. But the thing is... In not, Melbourne, if, not if the place gets hit and you didn't... Yeah. Give a warning. That's true. Yeah. Then you're kind of. Well, it's not that you has to give the warning. (laughs) I guess you're relying on the sirens. It's not like a job job swap where you go and stand on the coast looking worried. (laughs) The siren goes to the party. (laughs) (laughs) What's your name? (laughs) (laughs) So, on inanimate objects Mm. and sort of personifying them and getting into contact with them, there has been a study done recently which shows that if you are lonely, you're more likely to see inanimate objects as being human-like. Oh. So you'll start, hello, Mr. Cushion, or whatever. Yeah, right. But these microphones really do very closely resemble (laughs) a beautiful man, I think. Don't you think? Sure. Yeah. A beautiful man, yeah. Is it that you're lonely so you make inanimate objects more human, or is it that you're the kind of person who makes inanimate objects human and so you are automatically a loner? Well... I was asking my fridge about this the other day. <laughs> uh, no, it, I think it's that if you don't have human relationships, you're more likely to yeah. name your mugs. But what I'm saying is it's possible that it's the other way around. Or that it's just self, self-perpetuating, self I guess. Yeah. So once you do that, you get yeah. stuck in a cycle, don't you? It's got then your mug mates, around. you don't need people anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is obviously a thing, isn't it? It's that like we... in Castaway with Wilson, the volleyball. Oh, yeah. Remember? Yeah. Yes. It's exactly like that. If he had been there with 50 or 60 other people, he probably wouldn't have done the volleyball thing. <laughs> that would have been, and then he would have been a real weirdo in that film if he had painted if the face on the volleyball, despite them having a but thriving then, society. But then, yeah. weirdly, he probably would have been outcast from the society, and then he would have needed to yeah. personify the volleyball. Yeah, you're right. I wonder what teddies for, because I'm very close to my teddies. Um, <laughs> maybe closer than I am to most people, but I don't think that counts me as like a person. Well, you wouldn't think that, would you? But then people like me would think, yes, that is weird. Well, I think you're weird for for liking women. Okay, so I guess (laughs) we all have our own weird predilections. There's no need to get judgmental. But my wife is definitely a real person. 
Oh, you've thought that for years, haven't you? It's time I broke the news to you. She's just a coat rack. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit hard. <laughs> I mean, she does wear coats very well. <laughs> Did you know that in the 1800s, then a lot of Americans lived in trees? Did they? Yeah, well, some as Americans. In tree houses. Tree houses. Or... No, inside trees. Oh, inside trees. Cool. Yeah. Wow. I'd say that's technically still a tree house. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's true. I suppose it is, but yeah. they need to rebrand themselves actually. Well, they did, and they called themselves stump houses. Well, the houses didn't did call they? themselves that, they didn't call themselves anything, they're just stumps. Well, People I actually think that. they have yeah. a bit of humanity to them. <laughs> actually, they had, because they turned them into houses, so you know, houses look like a face because the window's at the top and then the door looks I've like I've never a seen nose. that, but then I'm not lonely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've got your clothes rack, haven't you? <laughs> Sorry about that, Polina. Um, so in, yeah. She doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah. She's not real. <laughs> so in the nineteenth century, yeah. um, there was a lot of logging in America, uh, up in the up in the northwest, up in Oregon and Washington, and then into Canada. And people would leave the stumps of the trees that they were logging because they're not that useful because um, the grain's really uneven in the stumps, I think. Um, and then a lot of people were immigrating to these places at the same time, and they would kind of turn the stumps into homes because it was very cheap. So some people lived inside tree stumps or they turned them into storage sheds so they became chicken houses or pig pens. Sometimes they'd modify them and make them into dance floors apparently and they'd no. have stump dances. Dance yeah, because if you cool. get a big tree stump, they'd flatten it out. Because they are absolutely massive, aren't they? Yeah. Which, which trees are these? They'll be like redwoods. Yeah, yeah. okay, so right. Sequoias, they'll be really big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, ants farm in trees and have been doing so for many thousands of years. What do they farm? But proper farming. Um, <laughs> proper f- cows. Uh, <laughs> tractors and stuff. Wow. Um, so they plant, uh, they farm fruit crops. So they farm different kinds of fruit and they basically, they plant the seeds. So they'll, uh, they'll be like a fungus or a fruit crop growing out of the slits in trees uh, or the slits in bark. And they'll take that and they'll plant it and insert it in up further up the tree and then they'll pull on it to fertilize it and then it grows and it like fruits like farmers do like farmers moving <laughs> on their crops um, and as the plants grow they form these big hollow structures that the ants live in right. so they're kind of turning their farm also into their farm house oh. And they can eat it as well. And then when it creates more seeds, and they take these seeds and they go and plant them further up the tree, and they have this permanently self self fulfilling farm that they run Ooh, up trees. That's very cool. It's very cool. I do know a fact about farmers. Bottoms. Yeah, go on. Sure. There used to be a thing where to test whether the ground was ready for you to plant your seeds, you'd take down your trousers and you'd put your bum on the ground, and if it was too cold, then you wouldn't plant the seeds. But if it was warm enough, then the ground was soft enough and you could plant the seeds. If only other bits of the body could sense temperature, (laughs) we wouldn't have to do this. It's it's a bit like kind of gauging the temperature of a child's bath by putting your elbow in. It's exactly like that. It's not exactly like that. No, No. because you wouldn't. Gave the temperature of a child's bath. Yeah. It's like when I dip my ass in my tea to see if it's warm enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no yak dung for me. <laughs> I brought my own dung. Um, I've just got one thing on emails. Uh, so um, there were a team of scientists in South Carolina uh, who did a test. They went through two million emails in people's Yahoo inboxes. Don't know how they got access to it. Um, I can imagine. Yeah, but they looked at the number of words that people sent through their emails per year, and it equates to basically writing a book. Everyone 
If they use it's not a good book, though, is it? It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, roughly forty-one thousand three hundred sixty-eight words is what they said that we. All... That's a short. It's a short, a short book. It's a short book. That's a Mister Man book. That's not a Mister Man. It's a bit longer than a Mister Man book. It's a Mister Verbose. So if you're not read that. Time for fact number three, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that the world's hottest chili is not meant to be eaten; it's meant to be used as an anaesthetic. Mm. Mm. Is it like a, one of those fable things where it's like, oh, my arm really hurts, and then someone stamps on your foot, and you're like so <laughs> no, distracted by it's the actual? Um, it can numb you basically. It's right. incredibly, incredibly strong. Uh, the idea is, if you're allergic to normal anaesthetics, then you could maybe be able to use this kind of thing. If you went to the dentist, it would only anaesthetize the small amount around your tooth, oh, wow. so it wouldn't hit the muscles, it would only be the pain receptors, so it means that you wouldn't have that kind of thing where you can't talk properly. Yeah, yeah. Um, do they do they turn it into a gas or a, or, or is that what they're working on at the they're moment? They're still working on right. it. Uh, it would be a chemical, so I suppose they would inject it. Yes. So how is it? Because obviously, usually what chili does is it ignites your pain receptors. It's not even a taste. Capsaicin yeah. is something which makes you feel pain, but yet this is numbing pain. Yes. So um, yeah, it's, explain that, James. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know exactly how that works, um, but the way that capsaicin works is um, there's a channel called TRPV1, uh, and that normally is a heat channel. Oh, sorry. Okay. Not a TV channel. Not a TV channel. <laughs> <laughs> it's normally a heat channel, and the um, body is tricked into thinking that it's hot when actually it's um, kind of spicy. And yeah. yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. It's not hot at all. It's not hot at all, no. So this uh, chili pepper yes. is called Dragon's Breath. It's called Dragon's Breath, yeah. And on this scale that they have, called the Scoville scale, yeah. it scores 2.48 million, which is extremely high. Mm. Yeah. So what that means is, because they, they've done it, but they do the scale by how much diluting it needs. So if it's got 40 on the Scove, Scoville scale, if you dilute it 40 times, you will no longer be able to detect it. Mm. So if you've got one drop of this stuff and 40 drops of water, you can't taste anymore. So this would need 2.48 million drops, and even then you could still just about taste it. Wow. And for the, for the, so I worked out how much that is in actual water. That's half a bathtub full of water. Wow. Oh, really? If you put one, one, drop, one, drop, one drop into half a bathtub of water, you, could, you, could, you, you would only just you know what? stop noticing That it. means That's we're what? effectively, we're like sharks. Wow, yes! Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. does! Effectively. If, if there was an animal that had chilli sauce instead of blood, yeah. Yeah. and it was bleeding and we were swimming <laughs> in the water, we'd be able to detect them wow. and then attack them. Does that mean if you drank one cup, let's say you put the chilli into the water, yeah. is it... It, does it go across the body of the water, as in, if I got a cup full away from the bath and I drank it? I think so, yeah. I, I mean, maybe, maybe the to, molecules would have yeah. to... You'd have to stir it around a bit. Yeah, if you stir it. Might not, if you just put it in at that end and then you quickly... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a bit like homeopathic chili, this, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. amazing. So it there's a guy amazing. called Wilbur Scoville who developed that. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. You develop the scale. The scale, not the, yeah, not not the, the chili, chili pepper. Yeah. Yeah. So this is now officially according to Guinness World Records, the hottest chili in the world. And it's taken it away from the previous world record holder, which was called the Carolina Reaper. And the Carolina Reaper held it for quite a long time. It was developed and bred, so I think some of these hottest chilies are all part of a breeding um, mm. plan. Uh, and so the yeah, Carolina Reaper was made by a guy called Ed Curry. 
No, no way. Yeah, That's Curry so developed cool. it, and they they did a thing. He did an anniversary eating of one for like they threw a celebration for it. So he just ate one raw, and his quote as he was <laughs> eating it sort of started normal, and then he started uh, going bright red. Uh, his face, they say, was blood red. Uh, his eyes were watering. He he was his quote has a lot of dot dot dots because he couldn't. <laughs> so he goes, ah, I'm losing. The ability to talk. <laughs> wow. That's his official quote from uh, his anniversary of the Carolina Reaper. It can um, make you hallucinate, can't it? Yeah. Well, it did. There was a guy called Ian Rothwell who, in 2013, became the first person to eat a whole plate of the world's hottest curry. It's called the Widower. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> the reason he did it, he's a doctor, um, so maybe he should have known better, but the reason he did it was that his Cause daughter... Because he, he hated all of his underpants. <laughs> <laughs> wear all of his underpants in one go. I think I would. <laughs> Do you not take your underpants down when you go to the toilet then? Why would that? Yeah. Absolutely not, Dan. Don't be disgusting. <laughs> Don't want to ruin that toilet. <laughs> um, so this guy, no, his motivation was that his daughter, Alice, brought a boyfriend home and the boyfriend told, was saying, was relating this story about him and his friends had tried this curry and they couldn't get through more than a couple of bites. And the dad was obviously trying to impress this boyfriend. So it was like, oh, I bet I can do that whole oh, no. play. And he did it and he actually said it was okay. Um, so he said he, he had to take a short break halfway through because he felt really sweaty and he did start hallucinating. And people <laughs> told him he started hallucinating because he obviously can't remember it. Um, but aside from a few tears in his eyes and a short period of Hallucinating. He was cool and collected and seemed to cope very well. I thought, was this not the guy who went for a walk halfway through and started weeping and stuff like that? Is that him? He went for a walk halfway through because his eyes were watering. Right. But I don't think he was crying with sadness. He was I just crying. He was probably crying with joy about how impressed his daughter's <laughs> boyfriend was going to be. I can kind of understand that because when I first met my father-in-law, uh, who's Russian, right. he basically, um, we ended up drinking a lot of vodka, oh, which God. was almost like competitive oh, no. vodka right. drinking. Oh, but did he God. say, I bet I could drink those three bottles of vodka, <laughs> no, but you the, just wait, Sonny? There was an implication there, I think, which yeah. was, because in, like, Russia and probably everywhere, if you have a shot of vodka and you're doing it in a social way, it's basically, I'm down in mine, you're down in yours kind of thing. Right. And right. then it's another one, and then it's another one, and oh, then it's another one. Wow. And oh. then next thing I knew, I was invading Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> You get so drunk, you mistook Polina for a hat stand. <laughs> um, so, the weird thing, right, yeah. is that birds don't have any problems eating chilies, right? They eat loads of chilies, often they really hot ones, yeah. right. they're fine. Okay. They don't panic, they don't lose pants, they don't hallucinate, <laughs> they don't cry. That guy's son in law must be really impressed by. <laughs> A bird one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so birds hate it. Uh, birds are fine, but mammals hate them, right? Yeah. Most yeah. mammals, including, and obviously humans have developed the ability to think, oh, actually, I do quite like this. But the theory is that the plants are using birds because the birds, the seeds go through them really fast, and the birds poo them out and they spread the seed and it spreads the plant. Whereas mammals have digestive juices which destroy the seeds. So the plant has developed seeds and, you know, little fibres and things, which mammals hate, but birds don't. Mm. Mm. Isn't that crafty? And maybe humans, they do it so humans like it, so that humans cultivate them. Yeah. Um, I found a couple of um, spiciest foods and drinks Mm. that use chilli in them. Um, I found a bottle of vodka. So um, they use a chilli 
which is the Naga Yolokia chilies. Have you heard of those? I've heard of the Naga ones because that's from Naga in India, isn't it? Right. I think are they the ones that, yes, I think they're from Assam and they were the hottest chili until 2007. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're a genuine hottest chili, like they've been used in cooking for hundreds of yes, years. Yes, exactly, yeah. So they use that in a vodka and they, on the Scoville scale, are 250,000. So they're quite far down from your hottest, hottest ones these days, which were in the millions, I believe you said yeah. earlier. It's quite interesting, that chili, because it's been really good for Indian farmers because it got that boost from the Guinness World Records. And so um, suddenly lots of people were ordering it and it's quite expensive. And also now they're using it in crowd control. So they've started making the chili into a spray. Um, and they also, farmers use it to repel elephants because elephants aren't birds, they're mammals, so they don't like it. Right. And so actually a lot of Assam's <laughs> farmers... On, sorry, not an yeah. elephant. <laughs> Dumbo. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I wonder if he, he might like chili. God, who knows? He's really on the cusp, isn't because he? Because if you think about it, he could probably pollinate quite a lot of... Yeah. Um, or he could Loads. spread seeds, couldn't he? Very yeah. effectively. Because they, they poo a lot, don't they? Yeah, they yeah. do. Oh, yeah. Is that what Dumbo was about, him spreading chili seeds? I've not seen it, but yeah. yeah. Have you not? Yeah. No. You've not seen Dumbo? Dumbo, great. Anyway, that's um, very cool. That's so, awesome. yeah, being used, being used by the police. Wow. Um, yeah, because pepper spray is effectively chilly, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That, that bloke, that dog that's trying to impress his daughter's <laughs> boyfriend. Just wait till you see. Flies to India, gets involved in a riot. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, are you watching? <laughs> maybe if he got shot by an arrow by the Aztecs, because they used to put chilli on the end of their arrows. Hey, I read wow. that the Aztecs used to throw chilies at their enemies, and I thought that can't possibly be right. Apparently Japanese ninjas did. <laughs> throw throw chilies. Not chilies, but chilli powder. Yes, OK, that oh, makes chili sense. Chilli powder, if you're close up, might not, be the trick. Because yeah. I thought it would be impossible to get the chilli into someone's mouth from a distance. Yeah. It's impossible to throw a Malteser into someone's mouth from a distance. But don't they have to be compliant? Oh. So you have to say to your enemy, it's just a Malteser. <laughs> Before the battle, can we take part in a traditional ritual and see if you can get the Malteser into the enemy's mouth? <laughs> okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Andrew Hunter Murray. My fact is that one of Napoleon's admirals lost three legs in battle. <laughs> oh. Was he um, was he an animal? Was like, his name? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, like, sometimes dog. people give naval ranks to animals. He was, he was a spider. Was uh, he? Yeah. <laughs> so he was still able to lead a fulfilling career. Barely noticed. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, what's uh, his story? His name was Georges René Le Pellet de Le Pleville, and he was a French admiral, and he lost his right leg in a battle. And then he lost his wooden leg in another battle, oh. and then he lost his replacement wooden <laughs> leg in another battle. So, did he lose first. anything else? No, I think he was very lucky. Imagine your luck. Yeah. That's, like, <laughs> that's like bowling. Well, it's not lucky to lose your first leg. No, the, the first next, leg. The next two are lucky. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, and he, for a while, he spent his time sailing around in a ship called the Brilliant. <laughs> that's so cool. That's awesome. That's good. That's very yeah. good. I should say this fact was uh, was originally tweeted by a guy called Peter Campbell and it was sent in by Ryan Goodman, so thank you to both yeah. of those guys. Uh, another person to lose their leg in the very same battle was Lord Uxbridge, um, quite famously lost it. I think there's, it's in Britain, so as I'm not, I didn't grow up here, I don't know if this is a famous encounter, but when he was talking to the Duke of Wellington, as soon as, um, and he lost it by Cannibal as well, there's a line where he says, by God, by God sir, I've lost my leg, and then the Duke of Wellington says, by God sir, so you have. 
have. And apparently that's a thing that's taught in schools here. Did you guys, have you heard that before? Uh, I've heard it before, but not at school. Yeah. It's not okay. a school thing. It's like a, it's just an example of great British, British yeah. uh, restraint and stiff upper lip yeah. that blatantly didn't happen exactly. ever in history. Um, and he, he actually did something that seemed to be quite common. He buried his leg, or his leg was buried yeah. in the garden where it was cut off and a little tombstone was erected, wasn't it? Yeah. And that seemed to be quite a common thing. So a few people did this. Um, it's said that that's where the original inspiration for One Foot in the Grave came from. Yep, that's obviously not true. Yep. <laughs> Pretty sure that would be when you're in the grave, both your feet are in there, so it's you're almost in there. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. why, no, but you'd say both feet and all my body and stuff in the grave right. when you are there. So you'd it does make sense to say one foot in the grave. If, it's, if you buried your leg, yeah. Yeah. Well, but then why not one leg in the grave? That's a very good point. Yeah. I'll, I'll have a chat with myself about the origins of that <laughs> no, later. But they did, there was a thing, so they, he, they got in a big row basically over the leg because the family who owned the house where the leg had been left and buried made a little living from, from displaying it to people and showing it around. And then, six years later, his son visited the house. He thought, I'll go and visit my father's leg. And uh, he was horrified to discover, supposedly, that it was sticking out of the ground because it had been unearthed by a storm. It was a really bad neck. <laughs> Wow! Like foot up, like well, he was trying I to climb his way I up. I can't, be I can't quite believe but you it. You kind of hope it is foot up, don't you? Yeah. Like the foot at least would be. Yeah, that's true. It's, yeah. it's closed, and that's where um, the phrase "one foot out of the grave" <laughs> originated. From. The sequel. He, he said, "Right, I want the, my father's leg back because you've, you've really made a hash of looking after it." So I'm gonna. And they said, "No, we want compensation," and they didn't let him have it. And uh, there was a, a, you know, there was an impasse between them. And then eventually they just kept hold of it. And then in 1932, supposedly, they burned it. They burned it? What? Yeah. Just so that he could never get hold of it out of spite? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Because that was even like, was 60 years after even the initial row, wow. which was 60 years after but the But you're just burning went. bone, right? Can you burn bone? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. That's the story. Do we know why they did that? Like, like, as in, obviously they were, I can see what we're saying, they're doing grand gestures towards a, to the legs, but why did people bury their... It was, I think it was partly because um, it was to show how important they are and this thing is so vital, and also because it was quite a mark of pride in the 19th century, I think, during the Civil War and the Revolutionary Wars. If you lost a leg, that showed you were really manly. So it was more for... Um, Veterans of war, as opposed to well, it was never. It would only it, ever was never a big people. thing. Oh, okay, it's just a handful. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because you were celebrating the end of your leg. It's where the word legend comes from. Leg end. Mm, yeah, that is true. Yeah, is it? Yeah. yeah well, we'll leave you to work that out. <laughs> Do a little bit of Googling after this show, oh. why don't we? <laughs> oh, I so believe it. But I... <laughs> um, do you know what? So this is this is something that's very cool. Do you know why flamingos are so stable on one leg? Because you always see flamingos standing on one leg, don't you? Always. Yeah, yeah you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. So scientists. Have is it because they're used to it? No. Oh, because you would think because they do it all the time. I mean, they are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure they are used to it, but right. that's not the reason that is they can. Is it because they are they welded onto a platform? Yeah, they're all law ornaments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, <laughs> it's not that. Why is it? Okay, I'll tell you. So a couple of biologists, uh, they're called Yang Hui Chang and Lina Ting. They've studied this just now, right? And they were trying to work out why flamingos are so stable, or rather how they're so stable. Yeah. And um, they discovered this by writing to some zoos and uh, doing experiments on flamingos 
and they would put them on a little plate, right? And they'd measure the forces that the flamingo's mm. foot would put down on the plate oh. to see how it's adjusting. Uh, and then they wrote to another zoo, which had just had a couple of flamingos which had died, and they said, can we have your flamingos, please? And then they propped the flamingo up on one leg, this dead flamingo, and they found that its leg locks perfectly, right, just on one leg. And they're more stable on one leg than they are on two. Because oh. when a flamingo stands on one leg, somehow all of its tendons slot right into place and it can just stay like that for ages. Why couldn't they lock both legs directly in place yeah. and then stand extremely yeah. ah, So what's the advantage in only standing on one leg? Sometimes they're standing in cold water and they may not want to lose heat, heat. through both legs. Isn't, isn't, it, that right? isn't it also that they don't want both feet to be frozen in ice? Sometimes they get frozen I've read that. Ice. I've also read once that they said that they have it so that there's fewer legs for fish to bash into. <laughs> Yeah, there's just no one telling which of these is more or less plausible. They're all very plausible. Like, say if you're in a battle and there are cannonballs flying everywhere and you're standing on one leg the whole time, then you're less likely to get your leg Got it. Up. So it's not to stop the fish from hurting themselves, it's to stop no. their legs from yeah, getting Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I believe that one. Okay, well... Yes. All right. I've got one last thing on okay. cannonball war, mm. and so this is not about legs, it's about uh, hands. There's a guy who was a knight in Germany in the 1500s called Gotts, and we know him as Gotts of the Iron Hand. Have I told you about this guy no. before? Gotts of the Iron Hand was this badass knight. He was amazing, and during battle, when he had originally both of his hands, um, there's two theories. One, that a cannonball sound freaked him out, shocked him slightly, and he lost control of his massive sword, and the sword went back and he chopped off his own hand. The second okay, theory... unlikely. Unlikely. The second theory is that a cannonball took it off. More likely. Yeah, mm -hmm. so um, what happened is that they replaced his hand with um, a prosthetic hand, which mm -hmm. was made out of iron, so he became gots of the iron hand. Right. And it had uh, sort of joints in it so that the knuckles could hold the stirrup of the horse that he was riding okay. and could hold around the sword. And he was so famous that he published an autobiography and it was translated <laughs> into a play by Goethe, who wrote um, this whole play about Gots of the Iron Hand, which is still published in wow. Germany, very famous. And there's a line in it which is thought to be either real or just Goethe was inspired by his sort of badass nature, which is the most famous line in the whole play, which in English is translated as, tell him he can kiss my ass. And that is still a slang uh, put down in Germany today. It's actually still a, a slang put down in England. <laughs> as, as a direct uh, yeah. derivative of that's, Gots of the Iron Hand. Tell amazing. him he can... So wait, did we, did, is that where we got Kiss My Ass from? It doesn't feel like it. I can't no. believe it's not Goethe. Oh! <laughs> end the show. Absolutely end the show. <laughs> okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter account. I'm on at Schreiberland, James. At Eggshaped. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. And Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at QI Podcast, or you can go to no such thing as a fish.com, which is our website. It has all of our previous episodes on there. It's also got a link to our book, which is coming out November 2nd, called The Book of the Year. It's also got links to our tour, which is going through October and November in the UK. That's all from us now. We'll see you again next week. Goodbye. Bye.